0: Welcome back to The Rural Roundup, produced in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond, and on today's episode, farm advisors Tiffany and George are joined by SRUC's Stephen Thompson, a reader in Agricultural Economics and Policy, to spotlight what's happening currently in rural policy. Sasha Grierson, Principal Consultant for the Scottish Farm Business Survey, joins us to give us some insight from the latest survey results, hot off the press from March the 30th. And we're also joined by Dr. Claire Morgan Davies, a Livestock Systems Scientist at SRUC, who tells us what's on her desk and highlights some interesting projects for farmers to get involved with. Let's join George and Tiffany to get the headlines on rural policy. Hi George,
1: how are you doing? I'm fine
2: Tiffany, how are you?
1: Yeah, good thank you. Robert's not here this week, he's too busy lambing to join us.
2: And so what are you busy with just now?
1: Lots of single application forms at the moment.
2: Same here, things are getting going in terms of IACs. Um, uh... Up here, probably arable is a big thing as well. So making sure that there is sufficient EFA and and having that, taking the time to have that calculation. Um, but we're starting to see people getting going with, with land work, which is great to see. Uh, so it's going to be busy, busy, busy over the next few weeks, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely very busy definitely noticed the last couple of weeks there's been a lot of people wanting land maintenance forms completed because they've gone and made some changes to the field but there's a new online system um, on rural payments which you can use for making the changes and I have found it really quick and easy to use and you can make changes very efficiently and they're being processed very quickly as well and you can still do it the old-fashioned way with the pen and paper and send it to them but uh, I find it's a big time-saving
2: Definitely, definitely. I've, I've got, even, even I've managed to get used to it, and it's uh, and it, it works for things like merging, splitting fields. It's, it's really quick.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we don't have Robert this week, but I'm delighted to welcome a new segment that we've got. So every quarter, we're going to have a policy update on the show, and I'm very happy to say that we've been joined by Stephen Thompson today. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing?
3: Hi there, good to join you today Uh, and hopefully we can join in in a number of sessions over the next year.
1: It's great that you're here today. I've definitely noticed um, with people coming in to do the single application form, a lot of people are beginning to ask what's coming next and what's happening. So why don't we just start, why are we having such a big change um, in policy going forward?
3: Well, I suppose the number one change is that the the Scottish government are now got multiple objectives to which they're trying to deliver. The key ones are biodiversity changes or improvements, uh, and also climate change improvements. And we are also out of the European Union, which means that the Scottish government has had to do some incredibly heavy thinking on where future agricultural and land use policy needs to go. So though the, the multiple drivers are now are in play, including food production, rural communities, rural development, upstream, downstream supply chains. Uh, There's a hugely complex set of factors now at play. But the key drivers, the new drivers, really are those biodiversity and climate change objectives.
1: There's an awful lot of things for the government to have to juggle to try and get the balance between them all.
3: Indeed, and uh, juggling them all within the same finite budget. Um, And that budget is declining in real terms because of inflation. So uh, farmers are all too aware that their input costs um, have gone through the roof in the last couple of years. And then their output prices, whilst they may have risen, are not rising as rapidly. And that then means that what the government can buy in terms of the the, the monies that the, the, the agricultural support budget, puts out that's declining in real terms so whilst the government are trying to deliver more and more for the budget uh, the budget ain't going up uh, and that's a bit of a problem for me
2: um one of the things i'm finding when i'm meeting farmers and that just now doing the IAX is um they want to know just how many well what's the time scale how many more years am i coming in to fill out an iax and what's when something else going to be there
3: $64 million question there, George, is um, when will Ix disappear? I don't think it will in any kind of real form, in a sense. Uh, I think there will always be a requirement for that level of detail to come. It will be increasingly more complex uh, as we get down to what the government are called enhanced conditionality measures. Uh, those enhanced conditionality measures, some of you are already doing it, or some of the farmers are already doing it in the, in the group. Uh, through ecological focus area these are enhanced conditional measures that the, that came in through the common agricultural policy and if we think about what is what the government are trying to achieve with the new policy it's using that cross compliance enhanced cross compliance type approach in order to deliver more for biodiversity and and more for climate change but as i said that becomes more complex. You will know that if somebody's got ecological focus area on their SAF farm, um, then that means it's slightly more more complex than somebody that doesn't have arable areas. Uh, and that level of detail will come for all types of farms across Scotland. So the upland farms, the, the livestock farms that, that haven't got arable areas or haven't had to do ecological focus areas, this will all be relatively new to them so so there's a period where we probably need to bed this into a system and i think that's what the the government are trying to do between 2025 and 2026 is actually start that transition process um, but the the key for the farmers i suppose in that sense is that uh until 2025 payments so this year and next year your soft forms going to be unadjusted, I think. In 2025, it will change because the government have got an objective or or a promise, um, a party promise, um, that 50% of all agricultural support will have what they are classifying as enhanced conditionality. So there will be one or two new measures. They're getting announced by June at the end of this year for 2025. That then gives people a bit of a window in which they can understand what the government are going to want from that. Uh, and start making the the adaptations towards that. Then, if and when things get through Parliament in terms of this new agricultural bill, and all the, the secondary pieces of legislation that come beneath that, the government are talking about 2026 as the launch of new legislation and a new scheme, and transitioning out of the old scheme over a number of years after that. So this current system will still be in play, uh, much like the single, the single farm payment was still in play between 2015 and 2019 as we transitioned towards a basic payment scheme. I, I think it's the the
2: uncertainty as well that doesn't help. Um, farmers have been used to this uh, every every five, six, seven years when they change change schemes. Um, you know, there's winners and losers, and I think there's just this sense of trepidation. What's coming next? Um, It's natural, I suppose. It's natural, the sector. feels like that.
1: But I feel like it doesn't seem such a big leap now that Stephen's explained enhanced conditionality as being a bit like having ecological focus areas because everyone is used to starting to think about these things. Fair enough, it'll be more difficult for livestock farmers that have no arable, but the arable farmers are already making those steps. So I feel like it seems slightly less daunting when it's doing what they're already doing with a bit more, on top, rather than it being something completely new and different.
3: Yeah, and I I would say that well it, it's good to go beyond ecological focus areas. So don't don't think it is ecological focus areas. It'll be it'll be more than that. Um, and but that system, that kind of system of doing bits more, l- l- choosing, having choice to do what you want to do or what fits your farming system is what we're trying to uh, trying to encourage the Scottish government to design this system so that if you're in the north of Shetland or the or in uh, the southwest in Stranar or you're in berwickshire or if you're in up, up in aberdeenshire the, this the the options for these measures actually fit with your geography with your system so that you have a set of choices because the last thing, if we don't let farmers have choices in this, and it becomes too prescriptive, then it becomes a real ch- challenge, and farmers will will probably farmers and crofters uh, will probably turn their noses up at some of it.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a huge variation in farms um, across the country, so it's great to hear that there's going to be different options available. Do you have some examples of options that you can share with us?
3: Yeah, there's a, the the Scottish government have produced um, a a route map a route map as they call it uh, which is their agricultural reform route map it gives you the timelines of uh, when they're expecting to make changes when they're expecting to make announcements when they're expecting legislation to be passed when they're expecting schemes to be launched now that is all in the public domain it's on the rural payments and services website that farmers can go and look at that alongside that there are a list of agricultural um, reform uh, conditionality measures. Um, and I would say, and, and I, I've done some work for the Scottish Government on how this could all play out, um, and I would say that there's an awful lot of those measures are understood for arable systems. There are some of them are EEC schemes measures, uh, bringing them in to be uh, more encompassing across all farming, all arable farms. So we've got lots and lots of measures for arable. We know what works on arable grounds. There are fewer measures on grassland, and there's very few, as far as I can see, on rough grazing farms or rough grazing areas. Uh, And it will be vital that we actually have a suite of measures uh, that are are eligible for rough grazing areas, because obviously some farms and crofts are dominated by rough grazing. So it's important that we try and get a little bit of engagement with the sector to try and uh, see what, what measures would work better in these areas and get some feedback loop on that. In terms of the measures, there there are also some measures specifically for livestock. And uh, when I presented um, the measures to farmers, I I get a quizzical look um, from some farming sectors saying, what do they mean by what do they mean by genetic improvement and, and better feed feed efficiency etc. and I think those have to be fleshed out considerably um, in terms of, in terms of what what actually is expected. Um, our farmers that are finishing livestock or in a dairy system. Uh, Or if you're winter housing, are you going to have to actually feed your animals methane inhibitors? These are kind of questions that the government are actually talking about. um, Because obviously with enteric methane production, that's one of the biggest contributors to Scottish Agricultural's greenhouse gas emissions envelope. So um, those are the kind of measures. Also minimum tillage, you know field margins all of the stuff that you're aware of that works in EECs and also in um in EFA type measures so so there are there are the list of measures that farmers will see will largely be things they've seen before in some that, guys
1: that'll give them a bit of confidence if they've seen these things before in some guys so going forward, like so the Eek scheme, are those kind of schemes going to remain or is it all going to be part of one, the new version of your basic payment scheme?
3: Well, there's another $64 million question. So the, the key here is the, the government have gone with, a are taking forward a four-tiered system. And the first tier is a basic payment type system. So you may be... Uh, having to help farmers, or farmers will have to think about what they're calling a whole farm plan. Nobody is really sure what is going to be in that whole farm plan. Uh, In my head, it would work best if it is simply uh, on a field by field level. If you're selecting which of these measures that you're doing, then we've got a bit of a footprint across the farm, a bit like what you do with ecological focus areas. But there will be other measures in there that the government are keen to cover, uh, including fair work principles and things like that. The second tier is to do with enhanced conditionality. Uh, And it should be, and the the, the current thinking is, the first tier will be 50% of support payments, your direct support payments, and the second tier will be 50% of direct support payments. Uh, That second tier is where these enhanced conditions come in. We're not 100% sure, or I've not been cited on anything that actually shows exactly how that system will work. In my head, it will work on a points-based system, Or like ecological focus areas where uh, a hectare isn't a hectare, they have different weightings uh, and you will have to meet X percent of your arable land or Y percent of your grassland or Z percent of your rough grazing area. That's the way it would work in my head. The third tier is your competitive scheme. So the first two t- tiers are uncompetitive. And I think that is the most important thing that farmers actually take out of it, this conversation, is that the first two tiers are uncompetitive. They are if you apply and if you are doing these measures, you will get the support payments. That uh, Those support payments, the second tier, I've also heard in a lot of meetings are that, well, I shouldn't do anything now because it's going to in- impact on how I can get supported in the future. I would say um, do it now because um, we will be paying and the government have made in the net. Well, it's buried somewhere within one of their presentations is that they recognize and they will support and pay people that are already delivering. And that has always been a worry for the industry is that if you're already doing it, so if you're producing the, the if you're the most efficient producer and you're doing everything you can for biodiversity low greenhouse gas emissions there's a lot of people giving me feedback saying well i've got nowhere to go uh, and they should take uh, they should take solace in the fact that they will be supported and recognized for doing the good that they're already doing and and that's a really really vital message getting back to the tiers the third tier is um, your competitive your competitive elements so it will cl- include type approach, uh, so Agri-Environment Climate Scheme type approach, which are targeted, uh, there'll be probably the additional hoops that you have to go through. Currently, you have to go through those hoops anyway. Um, you may have to do a biodiversity audit in there. In there. Uh, that is one thing that's been being discussed uh, uh, quite often. Um, and in there, there will be hopefully things like food processing, marketing grant scheme, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the fourth tier, they're calling that complementary measures uh, and those complementary measures include the farm advisory service but also include peatland restoration forestry grants etc etc and the biggest questions i suppose from an industry perspective are where does voluntary coupled sports sit? for me it has to sit in tiered one and two because it's, it's a qu- essentially a direct support payment and where does it, uh, the son or daughter of elphas sit um, in terms of less favoured area support scheme, I, again, for me, it's a quasi direct support payment. We can link it into um, Tier 2, the, the conditional enhanced conditionality measures. And, and if we can do that, we could likely simplify the LFA scheme support. Um, But again, those are decisions that have to be made. And as I said at at the outset, the Scottish government policy officials are having to juggle a heck of a lot of different things at the moment as they try and put primary legislation that is fit for Scotland, designed in Scotland, fit for Scotland uh, into the mix.
1: There's definitely a lot going on in all of that lot. Um, I feel like I need to sit and listen to all that back again to make sure I can get my head wrapped around it.
3: Well, wait until you hear about the biodiversity strategy and then the, the new forestry strategy and then the new land use strategy and then the climate change plan the government are bound by an awful lot of what they're calling legally binding targets now hence the reason that the the agricultural policy is having to do an awful lot of heavy lifting um you know and and this is where we need to be smart as an industry and make sure that politicians across the country both at Westminster and at, at Scottish parliament better understand all of the all of the things that or all of the heavy lifting that agriculture and land use are going to have to do over the next 20 or 30 years if we are truly to deliver on biodiversity enhancement if we're truly to deliver on food security uh, and if we're truly to deliver on net zero as a country,
1: so what about greening? What tier is that going to be sitting in? Uh,
3: so currently, I think the thinking within Scottish government is that it's it's part of tier one, um, but my perspective is slightly different in that I think that the ecological focus areas. Uh, in in the greening measures are already enhanced conditionality um, but of course they're thinking in in terms of uh, doing something additional for the money monies just now but i'm thinking more about logical structures uh, of what we do where tier one is, is your, your GEEK measures, your, your good agricultural environmental conditions and your statutory management requirements. If we actually want to bring in new ones, new SMRs or GEEK measures, then that's fine, uh, but keep the, the ecological focus areas in, in, uh, in tier two uh, where you might want to increase the proportion of land or you might want to increase some of the, or, or change the measures within there or the weightings that are on these things.
2: At the same time, um, there's a lot of producers uh, making a switch to organic. How do you think this is going to apply to them?
3: So um, the levels of support, uh, and again, it comes back to um, where uh, organics sit. Organic conversion monies would likely come in into Tier 3. But by rote of the fact that you're doing organics, that may mean that you've got uh, what they would call equivalence measures in Tier 2. Um, so the, the, the list of measures it may be that by the time that you've got full organic conversion, that you've you've actually meeting some of those conditions. So um, again, it, it could be a it could be a nice a nice uh, outcome for some of the organic producers. I should also mention uh, and I'll throw this right in, um, is that um, we've been doing some thinking about this is really daunting for very small producers. Um, that are maybe very significantly part-time uh, and we have been pushing forward um, a proposal for a, a, a smallholder lighter scheme where there's an option to 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 basically for smallholders to come out of the, the main requirements uh, and do a lighter touch approach. Uh, And the other thing that we're also thinking about is uh, should there be any redistributive support, i.e. front loading, so that the smaller producers get a slight slight uplift in their their relative payment rates. But again, these are all, all things that have not been decided and are just parts of discussions just now.
1: I think there's definitely um, lots going on and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens going forward. So thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us today. Um, We'll see you again in, what, three months' time when you're back again for another policy update for us.
3: Well, thanks for that. And remember, in three months' time, there should be an announcement, according to the government's plans, there should be an announcement on a basic payment condition, extra basic, basic payment conditions for 2025 and also also, uh, different conditions or eligibility criteria for voluntary coupled support schemes. Uh, That is in their timeline. So we can maybe pick up on those when when we come back together.
1: Lots to look forward to then. Thanks both.
0: We'll see you again next time.
2: Cheers. Thank you very much, Tiffany. Yeah, bye.
0: Sasha Grierson, Principal Consultant for the Scottish Farm Business Survey, joins us today to report on the annual Scottish Farm Business Survey results, published on March 30th by the Scottish Government. Sasha gives a snapshot of the farm business economic evidence that supports Scottish Government policy decision making. Sasha also draws our attention to the free resource relevant to the whole farming industry, the whole farm benchmark tool. Listen for more. On March 30th, the annual Scottish Farm
4: Business Income estimates for 2021 to 2022 were published by the Scottish Government. This is the results from the Scottish Farm Business Survey, an annual economic and environmental survey performed in a deeply granular fashion on over 400 Scottish farms in the traditionally supported sectors. The Scottish Farm Business Survey delivers the headline metric of farm business income for for, for this sample of farms. Farm business income is equivalent to net profit. These results include figures up to the end of May, 2022. These estimates don't include the sustained period of high and volatile input costs that we've seen in the, in the recent last 10 months. However, these figures have um, quite important value for all in the industry because they help the industry establish long-term economic trends in farming, and they're also a window to help us understand the economic evidence that Scottish government uses to inform its agricultural policy decision making so what did these headline figures show the average farm business income across 400 farms in different sectors has been published at its highest for the last 10 years it's also a sort of headline grabbing uh, figure that for the first year the average farm is profitable without support payments at an average farm business income of £5,100. The main drivers for this apparent rosy-looking economic picture for Scottish farming appear to be seen on the high income scene in the dairy sector and on cereal farms. They've both shown quite significant uh, and large increases from last year. And this is due to higher prices, a sustained high milk price throughout the, the, the period of time that we were reporting on, and also high prices for wheat and barley. And as I mentioned earlier, we, we haven't captured the, um, th- these figures are only ca- captured the input price rises up to the end of May 2022. So we're missing the last 10 months of income volatility that we've seen. So overall, as well, the other headline, is that agricultural output on farms is up by 10%. And remember, these figures are all adjusted for inflation. So this more than offsets the uh, 6% rise in input costs that we saw in this farming year, which here are are up by an average of 6% across the board. This average farm business income figure is obviously for, for an average farm across a range of different sectors, dairy, cereals, cropping and livestock farms. And when we drill into the data, we see some quite mixed pictures across the different farming types. Dairy farms have shown a significant increase up to an average farm business income of over £160,000. Cereal farms, again, have shown a, a significant rise up to £84,600. Uh, £600. And there's a similar, there are similar increases in, uh, in livestock, in livestock farms, annual farm business income, but the orders of magnitude are significantly lower. So we're seeing a range of eight, 8% increase from £10,100 to £11,000 for special sheep farms. And then on uh, mixed cattle and sheep farms, we're seeing a 30% increase. From 26,000 to just over 34,000 pounds a year. So we can see that there's a quite wide disparity between the farm business incomes from our from our livestock farms within our sample to our uh, dairy dairy and cereal farms within the sample. What this tells us is when we look at the longer term trends. Uh, we know back in 2015 dairy farms had a really difficult time and they've seen quite a significant bounce back. We're not sure exactly what will happen in this next year, but we but given that there's been a relatively high milk price over the last 10 months, that 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 sustained increase in farm business in profitability on dairy farms will be sustained. And of course, moving on into 23-24. That that may well drop off, as we know from recent evidence, that the milk prices come under some pressure. However, since about 2015, which was a bit of an all-time nadir for for farm business income, when we look at it over the last 10 years, we haven't seen that level of bounce back across livestock farms. They have seen gains in their farm business income, i.e., their net profitability, but it, nothing of the order of what dairy farming has seen. This year's figures should not be taken in isolation. When we look back over the last 10 years of reporting on farm business income, we can see that 2015 was a very challenging year for farm business incomes across the board. And dairy farms have shown a significant bounce back up to the high level of profitability that we see today. Our livestock farms, in contrast, although they have their farm business incomes have improved over the last 10 years with a similar trend of improvement, they have not seen that quantum style of improvement up to the levels of profitability that dairy farming is seeing uh, over the last couple of years. And so this is the kind of evidence that um, that it's the trends over time that is the evidence that will support policy decision-making for the future. Support payments, obviously across the board, have a significant role to play in the profitability of the whole range of farming types. However, their role is much more pronounced across all livestock farms, both LFA and Lowland Livestock Farms. And there is also, over the course of the last two years, there remains about one in five farms across the board that are not profitable at all. And this is an interesting finding from from the results and one that appears to be robust over the last two years. In the last five years, about 350 farms have remained in the survey sample. And there's been some interesting scrutiny of these farms uh, with reference to whether they diversify or not. So. It's a trend that's been well established over the last five years that farms that do diversify have a significantly higher farm business income. And these diversification activities, they're not all large wedding venues that require huge sums of money for investment. There are often some quite small scale diversifications, such as renting out buildings Um, providing some tourist accommodation, maybe some catering, mobile phone masts, that kind of thing. But it appears to be a robust finding that is maintained uh, across time. And there's something here. It's not just because a farm diversifies doesn't mean that it's necessarily profitable. But there's potentially something here suggesting that uh, opportunities can present themselves in a diversified farming setting. And when you look a little bit closer at the at the results, it, we can see that uh, mixed farms, farms with uh, where no one enterprise dominates production, out of all the farm types, have the largest percentage of their overall farm business income that's attributable to f- diversified activities, which is at 17%. That's an interesting finding for everyone in the industry to consider. So, as we mentioned earlier, we uh we don't encapsulate the uh our our, our recording when our reporting window finishes in May 2022 and we we haven't encapsulated the uh the sustained high period of, of of high input costs between may 22 and and now April 23 and so we wonder what does the future hold um there's no denying that it's been a challenging farming year and that that will be reflected in the farm business income statistics that we report uh, next March for um, for the reporting period up to the end of May 2023. Um, it's it, It's also been a difficult time for farming and farmers to time the buying of their inputs. So there have been on occasion, for example, where people have perhaps sold grain at, the, at, at, a, at, a, at a dip in the market price and bought fertiliser at, a, at a, um, an uptick, a significant uptick in the market price. And that can have the effect of having a double whammy on your business um, financially. Um, when we want to see what's happening in the future, we could potentially look to DEFRA's published forecast. Um, they publish forecast based every February based on every every march i should say based on their farm business survey data and some market prices and this may help to s- provide a view of what's to come in next year in Scotland it is a less robust analysis and scotland has retained its basic payment pa- uh, its basic payment and it however defra's forecasts would suggest that we are in for an even more polarized year uh, of profitability between the sectors, with dairy incomes rising further on the s- on the back of a sustained uh, a st- sustained uh, supportive milk price, and um, but with a commont significant drop in uh, farm business income in the grazing livestock uh, farms in in the in the English survey, a drop of about two thirds in farm business income from levels similar to what we see. In, in, in Scotland's farm business income statistics here. So we have seen recently, we have seen significant uh, rises in, in prices for livestock and finished cattle and sheep uh, in recent weeks. And that's, that's going to be a boost to, to that. So we will hope to see a continuation of, of that, with, which may have the potential to reverse that trend. So that's a taste of what might be to come in next year's results. In recent weeks, we've seen very strong store cattle prices and very strong prices for finished cattle and rising prices for lambs. Um, That Clearly, that, that boost in incomes has not come before time and we wonder whether it will be enough to reverse that apparent trend that might be coming our way based on the figures from England. The second major output from the survey is what we call our Whole Farm Benchmarks Tool. And it's the creation of a national group average dataset, which is available on the FAS.scot website. If you search Whole Farm Benchmarks Tool, you'll find it. And it's available for everyone in industry to use to benchmark your own farm business against. The link to it is in the show notes. The last thing to say in this piece is if you feel that you, your business could benefit from joining the survey, we ask you for your farm accounts data, and in return, we give you a set a farm business report, a granular economic analysis of your business, and we'll give you a set of management accounts in effect. Also, a whole farm carbon footprint done in AgriCalc, which can be useful for grant applications. And thirdly, you get your own personalized performance benchmark report where you get your farm's economic performance and some productivity data benchmarked against the group national average data set. Using this can help support your business decision-making and help you make good decisions for the future financial performance of your farm business.
0: You can find out more about the Scottish Farm Business Survey and how to join it by contacting Sasha Grierson directly. You'll find all of her contact details in the show notes. Claire Morgan Davies, a Livestock Systems Scientist at SRUC, Scotland's Rural College, joined me to tell me what's on her desk.
5: So on my desk at the moment are three big European project I've been working on for the past 2 or 3 years. The two first ones are what we call thematic network and uh, they are mostly uh, targeted at farmers and we're trying to have networks around discussion um, on various topics. So one of them is called Euroship and Euroship is really to look at uh, nutrition and health management for sheep and the other one is called smart uh, which is all about precision livestock farming and digital technology for small ruminant. So these two projects are based around um, a lot of discussion network, workshop and transnational workshop. Um, and we're trying really to have farmer engaging with that and joining us on these workshop to discuss their needs, kind of solution we can identify for them and encouraging them to um, engage in that discussion. The third project is a bit more research project, but still I think interesting to farmer. It's called Take Care, and we're trying to encourage the use of uh, precision livestock farming technology. So um, in, uh, in clear, that's just an uh, uh, innovative tool, and uh, we're trying to use these tools to monitor welfare on sheep and goat farms. So Euroship project, which is uh, one that's finishing quite soon, actually finishing at the end of June. This one is really useful for farmers. We've been looking at needs that farmers have around animal health and nutrition. Then we've identified solutions from the eight different countries that are part of that network. So when farmers join workshop in the UK, they can uh, tap into that knowledge from other farmers from other parts of Europe. And we've had, um, sadly, not all our international workshops could be done um, in in presence. We had to do them online because of COVID, but we managed to go to Greece and to Turkey last year. And this final seminar we're having very soon, in the beginning of May, in France. And I think that's where farmers really profit from these events, is that they meet other farmers from other countries, and they can exchange and discuss about their practice, how they do things, and maybe a solution from a Greek farmer will be applicable to somebody in Scotland. So that's where these projects are really, really interesting, as well as seeing different culture and different way of doing things. So the SMART project um, is a similar format to the Euroship one. Uh, This one started a bit later, so we still have um, another 18 months to go. And in SMART, what we're trying to do is try to demystify the fear around using technology on sheep and goat farm and trying to show farmer how they can use existing tool or tools they might want to buy and, and just basically give them a, an idiot's guide of how to use them. Um, so farmer will get out of that a lot of knowledge, opportunity to play around with the tools, see how different farmers are using these different tools. So I'm talking things like a a stick reader, an EID way crate, these sorts of tools, um, or a milk meter if you're a dairy farmer, for example. And again, it's the same principle. We are taking people abroad. So we've just been in France in July last year. That was the first one we managed to do um, face-to-face. And their farmer were able to see what uh, the French farmer were doing on their farm. And we are going to go to Norway at the end of June where we will see how the Norwegians are using tools and technology. So, again, it's this opportunity to discuss, to exchange ideas, and to see maybe a problem that you've got in Scotland can be solved by something that, again, a French farmer or an Italian farmer can just help you with. So it's this kind of exchange of ideas, best practice, and awareness of what the other countries are doing. So Take Care is a bit more research-based, but we do have a strong participation of of farmers and uh, what we call stakeholders. So it's people who are involved in the value chain. So the way we've done that project is we are trying different tools that exist already on the market, some tools that are being developed that can be helpful to monitor welfare. And we've got a series of pilot farms where we're trying these tools. We are doing that uh, pilot farm in five different countries and Scotland is one of them. And once we've decided on the tool that seems to work, we will put them on real commercial farm and test if it works with real farmer. So we're not doing testing in real farm in Scotland, but we're doing them in Ireland. So again, there is some similarities there. And at every stage of the project, we have a regular workshop with farmer and other stakeholders and show them the result and say what do you think do you think we should change that so we're having that constant feedback and exchanges so in a sense the workshop are guiding a little bit what we're doing on the ground and vice versa because we don't want to create something uh, propose a solution to monitor welfare and then we realize that nobody's interested in so we really want to have that discussion with farmer with people on the ground that's how it's slightly different to this thematic network, but it's still quite, um, I would say, close to the sector type of project. We really want to have listeners to just come and contact us and invite us to join us in this project, because it's really important that we do have that engagement with the farming sector, especially in Scotland. Um, I would just say email me, <laughs> send me an email. We also have a project website and I suppose um, maybe it's something you can put on the podcast, um, the email address or the website address of this free project. And we've got a lot of information there. Every activity we've done is on this website. And uh, regarding Euroship and uh, SMART, all the solutions we've identified to answer farmers' needs are presented in the form of easy guidelines that people can download and uh, and just be inspired by what we found in terms of solution for the farming sector so obviously i am not scottish (laughs) Um, i've been in scotland from from nearly 25 years now so i'm originally from france um, and i don't think i've lost my accent after all these years Um, i came i did a agricultural degree in france and uh, had the chance to do my master in the uk and uh, decided to just carry on the adventure Um, A man was involved as well so (laughs) which is why i've got a, a welsh name but um that's why i came up to come to scotland but i love it up here everybody say you're crazy not to be in france but i really like being in scotland it's a lovely place so when i grew up um i'm not directly from farming background my grandparents were a market gardener and my great-grandparents were farmers but I think in France everybody's great-grandparents were farmer. anyway um, so I grew up in a in a small city a small town actually um, but I always was interested by farming and agriculture and that's why I decided to study that at university for me farming especially in Scotland is um, it's just the fact that farmers are custodian of the land you know it's They are such important sector um, of of the society, I think. Without them, we would not have the landscape we've got now. We would not have the rural social fabric that we've got now. And uh, it's the evolution of such a a long history behind. I think it's just fascinating. And that's why I'm really interested to make it um, sustainable for farmers and research ways of making farming viable, really, and not give up altogether on Onto these type of uh, activities, really. I really like swimming. It's something I, I just really enjoy. Um, but sadly, after COVID, it's just been something that uh, I kind of gave up altogether. Swimming pool I've shut down, everything. But I'm always trying to try to go outside and uh, go hill walking in the in the Oak hills where where I'm living near, and uh, and just be yeah. I don't like being inside. I like being outside and do things. So I suppose one take home message for the listener would be these three projects in particular that I'm working on, we are really keen to have farmers involvement. So please contact us um, and or visit the, the free website I was mentioning. Um, and I think it's really vital that we do have that engagement with farmer because that's uh, the core of this project is that engagement with, uh, with the industry. Otherwise there is no point doing research in my mind anyway.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. We're always looking for new voices to feature and if you work in a support role or are a supplier in the agricultural sector in Scotland please get in touch via the link in our show notes so that we can ask you what's on your desk. Subscribe to this channel to make sure you get notified as our new episodes are released. We'll see you back here on the 26th of April for our next Rural Roundup.
2: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought
4: to you in association with the Scottish Government.